I V M. What is it like to be a foreign affairs journalist in India? How do you report on India's relations with other countries like Nepal or Maldives while working out of New Delhi? Devi Rupa Mitra of the Wire tells us on this episode of the Pragati Podcast. Welcome to the Pragati Podcast, a weekly talk show on public policy, economics, and international relations. I'm your host Pavan Shrinath. We live in an era of fake news where we don't always trust what we read or hear. But this is also a time where great journalists are doing exceptional journalism, informing the public about what is happening in India and the world. This episode is the third conversation on the Pragati Podcast on journalism. In episode 65 we spoke to Dhanya Rajendran of the News Minute on building an online news portal in India and about doing journalism during the time of natural disasters. In episode 68 we spoke to James Crabtree formerly with the Financial Times on being a foreign correspondent in India. Today I speak to Devi Rupa Mitra of the Wire on life as a journalist in India on the foreign policy beat. Devi Rupa has done some stellar reporting on India's complex neighborhood. And no, I don't mean Pakistan. Her articles have been a source of authoritative information on the Maldives, Nepal, Bangladesh and more. And she has reported on local developments in neighboring countries which are of domestic importance and which can have profound implications for India's interests. We'll be back with Devi Rupa after this short break. Hello everybody, welcome to another awesome week on the IVM Podcast Network. If you're not following us on social media, please make sure that you do. We're IVM Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So we did this last week and we had a pretty good response and we'd like to keep it going. So if you are listening to an IVM Podcast, take a screenshot of that, put it on your Instagram story and tag us with it. And what we'll do is we'll repost it on our story so that people get a look at what you're listening to and uh, people who come onto our stories will get an idea of what kind of things people are listening to. Leave us a comment too, just don't tag us. Last week, we launched two new shows. We launched our first Marathi podcast is called Golgappa hosted by a regular on our network Trupti Khamkar. Actress Shivani Tangsale is the first guest of the show and she talks about baking, her Everest climbing experience and her love for theater. And we also launched the Filter Coffee podcast hosted by Karthik Nagarajan. On the first episode, Karthik talks to film editor Nishant Radhakrishnan about focus group screenings, OTT platforms and the future of the Indian film industry. On the scene and the unseen in part 1 of a two-part conversation Amit Verma talks to historian and author Ramchandra Guha about Mahatma Gandhi's early years and his life in South Africa. On the Hindi podcast Cinemaya writer director Tanuja Chandra joins Swati Bakshi to discuss how she started her career with TV and the joys of making thrillers. On Pesa Vesa we have a one hour exclusive episode with Morgan Housel. He's a partner at the Collaborative Fund and a former columnist on Wall Street. He does a deep dive into the psychology of money. That's a really great episode. And with that let's continue on with the shows. Hi Devi Rupa, welcome to the Pragati Podcast. Thank you for having me, Pavan. In the last few months on the Pragati Podcast, I've had the opportunity to talk to many journalists from different uh, fields, even within journalism. So we had Dhanya Rajendran talk about what it was like to build an organization like the News Minute and do journalism in a time of crisis when Chennai was flooding or all of Kerala was flooding. How they went about. thinking about journalism doing journalism while also trying to help uh, relief and rescue and uh, recently we also had james crabtree on the show to talk about what it was like to be a foreign correspondent in india so to me in the same way it's an absolute delight to talk to you about what it's like to be a, a foreign policy journalist here in india mm-hmm. and based out of delhi so first could you 
tell us how you started in this. So you now at the wire, uh, looking at India's uh, engagement with our neighbors. But where did your personal journey start? Uh, I've been a journalist now for I think uh, since I started in 1998 December. So it's been a long journey for me. But I started uh, like most of my colleagues. I started in the city reporting where you cover urban transport. MCD, that is the Municipal Corporation of Delhi, Delhi government. So you do all the hierarchy of beats there. Then after that, once you uh, do city reporting for several years, then you come to the bureau. So that's how I came to the bureau, which is the, basically the bureau covers the national bureau, which all the ministries are there. And it was only once I graduated to the bureau that the my resident editor at that time, uh, I was in a paper called The Statesman the Delhi uh, Bureau of the Statesman. And just when I joined the Bureau, the one of their uh, senior correspondents who covered the Ministry of External Affairs had left the paper to go to another paper, basically in the city. So he decided that uh, for some reason, I am still not able to fathom that he thought that I was, a, it, I was a good fit for the Ministry of External Affairs, even though it's supposed to be one of the very senior beats. And I was expecting to get something like the Ministry of Social Justice or Empowerment or some other beats, which I would be have been happy about. But he decided that maybe I should cover Ministry of External Affairs. And that's how my journey started from there. So why is it considered a senior beat? Is it because uh, it's cooler? Uh, is it because there might be more perks? Uh, why would uh, this be a senior position? Well, now that I'm covering the beat, I also wonder sometimes that why is it considered to be cooler? Because I don't think it's as glamorous as people consider it to be. But I guess because it's uh, something related to foreign affairs, as in foreign Videsh Mantrale, you know, Videsh, uh, Videsh, you know, that foreign lands. So I guess that uh, association is also linked to it. And it's also that you know, you deal with the Indian Foreign Service, which supposedly has a certain cachet. Um, a lot of which has changed over the last 10 to 15 years, right? There was a time when um, the IFS was the most prized uh, cadre. The top students would go into absolutely. the IFS. Also because that would perhaps be the one way for you to go outside India as and well. And get a taste of, uh, you know, foreign land, which you won't get, right. uh, you know... If you had a normal any job here in that sense. Which is completely not true anymore. Not true And today, I mean, even I mean, if you just go by UPSC rankings, which doesn't really mean too mm-hmm. much. I mean, most sought after positions are IAS. IRS. Rather, IRS rather than mm-hmm. IAS. And, yeah, and, and there's a whole other dynamic to that, which mm-hmm. we, we don't need to get into today. So there was this attached. There was, was there also a sense that uh, IFS and the Ministry of External Affairs were all senior people talking about very important issues. So you needed senior journalists just for them to talk to you uh, and explain to you about strategic affairs and all these yes, mysterious I think things. There's a certain level of, they expect that the journalist covering MEA would have a certain level of gravitas and they would need to read a lot of books and to have a certain amount of background and they would have to have also a certain level of institutional memory also which the ME has, but also as a journalist, you're supposed to have. Uh, because it's all about precedence. And that's what one of the things that I've learned in uh, diplomacy and as a person diplomatic correspondence, you have to read up all the time. And especially when you are new. When I was new in the beat, that was one of the biggest fear that I had, that I was not able to understand the nuance of what they were saying. 
because what I was told is basically you should never, uh, what the Ministry of External Affairs spokesperson will tell you is there, but you have to also basically go back and see what that code means exactly, what that phrase is used for. Because it's all diplomacy. They say something, but the implication of it might They say something and they mean that, but you have to understand what they are talking about. I mean, they won't exactly, for example, I mean, even if I may take a contemporary example, they will never use the words South China Sea in any of the statements. It will be about freedom of navigation and freedom of overflight. So you would have to... The word South China Sea will not be mentioned. Most of the, many of the times. Wow. So you have to be basically know that uh, when they're talking about freedom of navigation and freedom of overflight, it's basically talking about South China Sea. That when they talk about connectivity and transparency of financing, they're talking about Belt and Road, basically taking a dig at that. So that kind of thing that you have to go and read, basically, you have to go and read the old Indian joint statements and uh, and old, basically lots of reading of books. That's why I remember the first year of my beat was basically I had to go and read up all the books of all the foreign secretaries that were saying and so on and so forth in that sense. So whereas in, in that sense what you're saying is that if someone's talking about uh, the I don't know the law ministry or uh, you know women and child empowerment or something what they're saying can be understood and parsed a little more readily mm. even if there is a, their own I mean, subterfuge and PR and everything yeah. that all governments do. Right. But here there is a another level of uh, all that happening. Yes, and it's better to basically understand it on your own. And of course, you can go and ask, uh, you know, you can ask clarification from the spokesperson. But it's not as readily available all the time, the answers from the, uh, you know, the ministry. I mean, it's not as immediately available to, to us. They may take their own sweet time to answer to our questions in that sense. But uh, so in this, uh, uh, David Rupa, what I and my colleagues have really enjoyed is that you have been now, uh, especially at the wire, covering India's uh, engagement with its neighborhood while not focusing extensively on Pakistan. And um, especially sitting far away in Bangalore, it feels like, like, why are we talking about Pakistan all the time? There's so much other happening. I mean, to uh, even in Bangalore, Sri Lanka feels far away. But if you're sitting in Chennai, Sri Lanka doesn't feel far away. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the closest connection. So how do you uh, see that playing out in uh, how we talk about um, our neighbors in the media today? And how does the government uh, sort of talk about our neighbors? No, one of the reasons, even though it's very kind of you to talk about, you know, that I've been working and you've been enjoying my writings, but I still feel that I'm pretty much at the learning stage right now and have a lot of seniors. Uh, there are lots of seniors who have been who are much more experienced than me. And most of them actually have a lot of experience in Pakistan. And that's one of the reasons that I have little hesitated in um, writing too much or focusing too much on Pakistan, because I think most of my seniors anyway do. Right. And they have much more, uh, they have original thinking about it, which at the moment, frankly, I don't have. I'm still looking and observing what is happening and trying to understand the cycles of, you know, boom and bust, which goes all the way. And it's frankly, what I have observed so many years right now is basically makes you quite cynical about India-Pakistan relations and doesn't give you any more insight or more, it doesn't give you any um, enthusiasm that there will be anything new happening in the relationship which I at least don't find it very interesting as such. That's why I find relations with smaller nations much more um, 
fascinating to look at because they have so much other dynamics which goes under you know uh, which are not reported per se as such i started covering maldives for example uh, when um, the nasheed was basically resigned if you remember the right. former mohammad nasheed and resigned and it was turned in basically he then he said uh, the day later no i was forced to basically resign under uh, uh, by the police and the military and the reason i started got getting very interested in it because one of the reasons was basically i couldn't find any experts in maldives who can explain to me uh, in india what exactly why did it happen you know because uh, i wasn't focusing on maldives before that but suddenly out of this blue this happened and nobody was explaining to me apparently the lots of others uh, small small symptoms which had led to this uh, event right. so and, and after that the entire uh, presidency of yamin mm-hmm. which is only after recently that, after that came wahid basically wahid and then after that wahid. came yamin and so but i couldn't find there except for one or uh, two experts i couldn't find anybody there so i had to basically then start asking people to get me uh, you know uh, i started gathering phone numbers and contacts of people inside maldives of the parties different parties and to talk to them directly i think that was basically you know got me more you know direct insight from what was happening and made me frankly interested in that country for on a long term basis because if you just listening what happens in many times is basically when you're covering mea you are just listening to what the ministry of external affairs tells you or you or because they have do have expertise you know they have covered this area this country but and you always think that they have the best insights but once you start listening to the voices which are there directly in those countries it gives you a much more confidence that what you're talking about is basically you know maybe worth writing about in that sense so th- you know i'm very curious about especially in the case of a country like maldives maybe we have a very important relationship but india given its size can sometimes be either complacent or arrogant or indians can be complacent or arrogant in dealing with uh, a smaller island nation which which is still sovereign and mm-hmm. considers itself important and is strategically important uh, mm-hmm. for india too so how many journalists would have even cultivated uh relationships or uh, contacts across uh the sea that way in with the case like maldives did you see that there were just very few people who were investing in these relationships beyond uh, understanding what say the mea was saying or what the indian side was saying i think there were some journalists who have done that especially with the opposition because during gayum's time when nasheed was in opposition they used to come to india for a long time and you know whole press conferences here so they had cultivated journalist i mean they had journalist contacts here and those have carried on so far also so there were quite a few people actually who do have contacts in maldives but i am was basically much more interested also in the domestic uh, politics of what da- domestic dynamics what happens there right. because that's one of the reasons i uh, i feel this basically strong that we don't sometimes understand is basically how much agency these countries have and how much the domestic politics plays in their relations with india we sometimes think that some of the decisions are basically based on external actors you know china or whatever but many of them quite are basically also due to you know internal egos between different uh, political actors and you know politicians we've seen some of this happen in bangladesh right where yeah. khalid azia the prime minister i mean they mm. come from the same social circles mm. there was this phone call between them that uh, was yeah, released yeah. where it's 
two people just fighting in a very yeah, very very silly manner very petty manner yeah. not becoming of uh, um, you know people who are leaders of countries and and so it's these dynamics that that need to be captured and reflected in good reportage and journalism mm-hmm. as well right so do you think that one of the challenges here is that india does not have too many foreign correspondents where there's no indian journalist who actually sits in maldives full time no. right there we or have any of the I, i can't remember any of them sitting in any in any of the neighborhood sark countries i think hindu has a co- full time correspondent in dhaka maybe right and, and maybe they have some uh, indian express but they have local correspondents basically who are writing for you know indian express and hindu they're not basically outstation correspondents from the paper but the idea of someone i mean with foreign correspondents with let's say the new york times or elsewhere the idea is that you grow in your career also right. by working in various countries right and get various contexts mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately in our country today with our income and our uh, i mean that's not been always possible exactly. i think the hindus probably been better than most other newspapers they and, have at least somebody in colombo somebody in colombo somebody in china yeah i think uh, the, uh, and sometimes the, is to have somebody in uh, colombo but that stopped because they thought that you know the all the since the civil wars ended so it's not more any more interesting so then they obviously said that person to china which is rather sad yeah, so the country had war so we will have a journalist and then it's not interesting anymore exactly so um so in this so therefore it's you have to then do this out of delhi mm-hmm. right so i'm curious how much do you get to travel in order to uh, do your reportage and how does that work uh, does are there ever junkets uh, from the indian government side or foreign government side could you share a little about um, that i would love to travel more for example i would have loved to travel go to bhutan for the elections um, because i was i really wanted to understand what was happening there and we had a very interesting uh, results there but obviously it depends on the budget of the organization uh, where they want to spend the money so i didn't actually go to i wanted to go to again maldives uh, i had been planning to but i didn't get the visa this time if you uh, they didn't give the ah. visa for the elections okay so even though i was planning to go for that so that i missed out uh, again but usually it depends on the uh, what kind of event is happening i mean um my for example the wire had um, last year that that i found very interesting was basically they had allowed me to go to iran to cover the elections which i no other indian you know news media was even interested in but that kind of for me was a very interesting and very insightful visit because it showed me how the kind of their um, first of all the media how they operated because and how they how much exactly you know when they talk about democracy in iran what do they exactly mean by democracy and how much role does the people have and how much do the people feel empowered exactly uh with the kind of democracy that they have so it was very interesting to talk to the people who were standing in line and who actually st- stood in line till you know 10 o'clock in the night sometimes that they were actually had a felt a st- certain stake in the in democracy there even though it's a very guided democracy and it's important to i mean sort of filter these through indian eyes as well exactly right? because, because otherwise uh, for example i wasn't able to understand I mean, how do you define the democracy that they have? I mean, they have a th- certain theocratic setup there, and they even uh, filter what kind of candidates are going to be standing for elections. 
do you really call it democracy so you have to basically i, I wanted to get my own understanding of what what do actually the people do they think about it in that sense do they really think that they're in a democracy at the first place and actually most of them do in that sense because they did stand in the election and they stand in the voting booths and they and, were and it's i mean while it is very different in india than thankfully we do not have theocratic control mm. uh, even here uh, internal party democracy is uh, completely missing in most places most so places, yeah. uh, it's not like candidates are chosen through popular uh, means mm. and then we have to select a few but we still have a very strong faith in our own democracy absolutely right so to me it's it's really great because uh, when sometimes we read this only through the eyes of an american or a, a british journalist mm. there's a lot we can learn and it's not Um, but yes, but coming back to your question about basically, if we if we travel more, I, we, I think we should be traveling more and more. Actually, not less. And the only thing is that, that most of the journalists that uh, MEA journalists we usually travel out when the prime minister is going somewhere, okay. you know. So then we'll follow his movement wherever he's going. But uh, I mean, so tell me about that. Is that something you've had the opportunity to do in the past? I had done that. I had uh, basically done it in my earlier, uh, especially in my earlier organization in the New Indian Express. So I remember going, especially for the first um, visit by the Prime Minister to New York and Madison Square Garden to US, basically. Okay. You know the first diaspora event that he had. That was quite interesting, actually, in that sense. So, so in yeah, you have I have done that part also. but i don't know how inside i mean it's much more frankly the way it's conducted i'm not sure how much access i would get anyway so i don't think it's for a reporter per se i don't know how much time i should waste on that right. because so um, that's like a guided tour that's like a guided tour you will have a certain time that the you know foreign secretary or joint secretary or somebody else will come and give you the briefings then you will anyway get out the readouts on what the pm is saying that will be posted on the website so it's quite well you know the release of all the information and whatever the pm is saying is done quite well by the mea is managed quite well so i'm not sure how useful it is to actually go there fair enough uh, following him on his it meetings. might be better to do something independently if given the opportunity yes i would rather do something independently on you know go for example go i was asked telling you about the bhutan elections i would have loved to go there or maybe go to Sri Lanka right now is frankly very interesting and we still don't have a very good handle on what's happening mm. there we don't understand mm-hmm. necessarily all the local dynamics right over there i it depends on who you're talking to in that sense i don't unnecessarily i i think the me has a pretty good idea what's happening there because they have some good people there and they know what's who are the you know players and all the players are talking to india actually okay all the time so and so they know what is happening there but they india has been very deliberately keeping a very very low profile in the current situation and i think that's a good idea to keep a low profile in any uh, in the neighborhood especially during elections and local politics because yeah. india has always had this image of being a big brother bully exactly big brothers again a very kind word sometimes right it's yeah and and already siri sena had talked about this raw pro you know rw plot in his cabinet meeting famous cabinet meeting so it's best to not to you know even show that the indian ambassador indian high commissioner was going and meeting 
Rajapakshi or you know Ranil Vikramasinghe. But they have a pretty good idea about what's happening there, and um, because all of the players are actually talking to the Indian side. We'll be back with Devi Rupa after this short break. How aware do you think you are of your laws and rights? Do you look up to laws when you are caught up in situations? Do you know what your rights are when you're stuck somewhere bad? Well, here's a show that can help you move an inch closer to being aware of what your rights are. Tune in to Know Your Kanoon with me, Amber Rana. This is a podcast meant to answer all your law-related queries. Catch Know Your Kanoon every week on the IVM website or the app or anywhere you get your podcast from. Welcome back. So, is that something that you see a lot? Um, I've heard this uh, offhand from people about how sometimes when it comes to the domestic politics of India's neighbors, the uh, Indian representative there, be it the ambassador or some other contact that um, the local political leaders are comfortable with, often feel like the outside party whom they can all talk to uh, if there are differences. So, sometimes do. Um, Indian um, representatives become sort of mediators. Almost like agony aunt sometimes, I feel. Agony aunt? uh, So that's one. So what all do you see the Indian side sort of doing? One is agony aunt, the others they can be meddling. Mm. Uh, Or what else? Like, do we become sort of conduits for conflict? Like settlement? It depends on what they're talking about, right? I mean, also the nature of the High Commissioner. How far they want to take up things and... uh, I also the nature of the of the government at that time in the headquarters. What is the policy that they want to pursue? So I mean, in the, for example, in Nepal, I mean, the every player, every political party will come and talk to the Indian embassy and Indian ambassador there. But at the same time, I mean, it's a very strange relationship that people have there with the Indian embassy there. That it is seen as a way, almost as a viceroy, or of all the South countries. Perhaps Nepal, the Indian ambassador in Nepal has a much more difficult task because he's not only talking to the various political leaders there, but there's so many political leaders in India who are talking to the political leaders there. Okay. okay so there are various like strands, which are different strands who have various interests, you know, who he has to manage somehow in that sense. And because, for example, the Nepali Congress guy there would be talking to somebody here the Indian Congress guy or somebody else who have, they have close relations and they're constantly talking to each other. And this and, is different from, say, even in Bangladesh or in uh, Sri Lanka? Yes, I think so. So the politician to politician contact is stronger. Yeah, I think so. How do you see the uh, relations? Yeah, except Bangladesh, can I just intervene? Bangladesh, there's a stronger connection, say, uh, between, say, Pranam Mukherjee, for example, has a very strong role in Bangladesh. Okay. But he has his own, he knows what he's talking about. I mean, in that sense, uh, the Indian High Commission doesn't have to worry that he will rock the boat kind of thing in the... Right. Um, but especially, so Nepal is still, I guess, a little different. I'm still not able to get a full sense of it. But with Bangladesh, uh, the border states will... Uh, Indian border states have their own politics mm-hmm. around it. right? So mm-hmm. how do you see that playing out from Delhi? This is very interesting. I mean, I had gone with the uh, recently uh, this year itself to Bangladesh for a media conclave where they had a lot of media from the West Bengal. Okay. okay. And the way they talk to the Bangladeshis or the Bangladeshis talk to them, I mean, it's basically like this one big family. 
and they have actually minute uh, interest in what is happening inside bangladesh and the main, i mean they have much more looking minutely at the you know who are the different players that i even i don't frankly look into it that closely in that sense but uh, so it's way they are much more i mean they know what the river situation is the water flows they know what they're talking about when they're talking about tista and the various other rivers that i can't sitting from delhi frankly i don't have that much in money i would love to do that kind of reporting but they have been there to those rivers they have been they can talk to when the you know bangladeshis talk about the tista they can say that you know tista is not really going to happen i mean the anyway the water is flowing so it doesn't make a difference so it's very fascinating to go and listen to them and we had a interaction with the uh, prime minister sheikh hasina and they were like they had so many questions and she was very happy to answer to them in that sense so it's much more easier if you actually send the media from the bordering state those countries because they have immediacy with those countries which i think even they appreciate that they're not talking to somebody from delhi who has a much more distant with whom they don't have to compete for example that's one of the things they don't have to compete for attention from delhi these people are just focused or interested in you know these states so it's not about grabbing one column space in a daily national newspaper yeah but but an entirely different dynamic exactly you know I'm, i i mean this might be hubris or not i don't know but sitting in bangalore it feels like sometimes the bangalore connection with say the united states which mm-hmm. is not a geographical neighbor mm-hmm. is sometimes more intense and more immediate mm-hmm. than perhaps what's happening between new delhi and united states Really? Like 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 the Bangalore obsession and the Silicon the, Valley and uh, one is Silicon Valley, the other is the movement of people. Okay. Um, uh, because visas, uh, are a matter of visas uh, are a matter of careers for a lot of people mm-hmm. in Bangalore and Hyderabad mm-hmm. and a couple of other places. Right. Similarly, I'll tell you that when uh the United States there is a uh, national holiday, mm-hmm. the traffic goes down in Bangalore. Okay. because the number of people who are working at uh, tech companies which are doing services for U- um, us companies they don't get the work on that day okay. and thanksgiving dinners become a thing in bangalore because you have a lot of people who have now come back right so so in that sense to me uh, sitting in bangalore to me visa movement of people is far more important than say talking about defense deals and other things just because the interests feel a little different right right so and so like i think trade and fdi and all that matter way more than government to government mm-hmm. sale of f16 or not of f16 even for example um, ipr issues uh, a lot of them sometimes matter for people back in bangalore be it biocon talking about biosimilars mm-hmm. be it uh, other uh, small indian companies talking about their own mm-hmm. ip regime so so to me that's very interesting because even those companies they know that they have to invest in public policy people mm. in delhi right and because a lot of things happen here so i'm just fascinated by that dynamic between various regional centers mm. um power and influence and delhi and foreign centers yes and uh, i think most of the think tanks right right now they are trying to diversify from outside to places outside delhi right i think of gateway in bombay yeah. which does mostly geoeconomics yes and right. we said happily in bangalore yes. far away from uh, delhi and but chennai had a very good i think think tank on chinese studies yes if i'm not mistaken in that sense i think calcutta has some good think tanks which do a lot of things on bimstech and uh, 
uh, on connectivity and acties basically in fact they me when they uh, interact with the think tanks i think many of their uh, acties issues uh, that they want to get papers they do it with calcutta think tanks and we probably need more think tanks in guwahati and, and other guwahati, centers yeah, yeah. as yeah. well yeah 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 uh, so coming back to new delhi mm-hmm. what's it like um, being on the foreign policy beat does the ame do a lot of press briefings who gets to go there as a journalist in the wire can you talk a little bit about credentials and things like that uh so i've been since i've been covering mea beat for a long time so we usually have now a weekly briefing which happens on thursdays in the afternoon but it can happen any other day also uh which is set basically usually that is happens every time unless a spokesperson is traveling say with the external affairs minister the pm or whoever else besides that there would be uh, press conferences uh, briefings done prior to visits by the prime minister and the president and the vice president so it is done at the level of the secretary or the foreign secretary usually at that level but besides that if there the other briefings which would happen is basically there's something very very important which happens the surgical strikes i remember was the last time there was a big briefing and i can't remember other specific briefing that we were called for public briefings but besides that there are we also do um, we sometimes have background briefings for uh, you know journalists so that's off the record that's off the record. material for you to yeah. use however you wish to that, exactly okay but that's again it's not a frequent occurrence which happens mm-hmm. uh, so it's i mean i will say at the most once a month okay but even less than that so what would have happened say with something like the doklam crisis in poldek right so that was, this was something that was burning for a while lots of things were happening what was it to be a foreign policy reporter when that thing was in motion oh it was very frustrating actually at that time because me was not reacting if you remember the first few days uh, when it happened they reacted only after the chinese foreign ministry and the chinese uh, defense ministry issued the statements together on the same day uh then after that me reacted i think and the bhutan foreign ministry also reacted and after that there was more or less silence there was public silence they were repeating if there was questions asked the answers were the same okay so there was nothing more that they were going to say publicly over it and we were told i mean but we were explained at the same time why it was happening that they were not going to talk about it uh, that their policy is basically not to get provoked by the chinese foreign ministry and the statements that were coming out which were if you remember very aggressive right you know from the foreign ministry down to those that idiotic video from yeah, exactly. the, the chinese news media right exactly and it was also very at the same time they also needed to um, even though they were not talking publicly but they also needed to speak to the media and explain to them the technicalities right of you know because it was a very technical issue about all the agreements so you know it, 19th century agreements that were signed and so, the terrain being something so remote exactly. beyond the image imagination of most and of all, us we exactly we also wanted to understand exactly you know where exactly that happened because i think in the beginning also we have a little confused about where doklam was in the first place and where the whole uh, you know standoff was happening so it, that became clearer after few you know that were few days in that sense. so so how would say the indian government go about educating people in the media or elsewhere about at least uh, how they viewed the situation and provide so they context. were background briefings at that time mm. and collectively and 
uh, you know specifically you know depending on the questions that you were asking and obviously the spokesperson had to be very well versed in exactly all the technicalities of the you know the case and at the same time all the think tanks were also uh, briefed about it okay so they had a lot of people who, former you know ambassadors who knew about the subject who also were briefed also what's happening and they also went and talked to the think tanks in fact sometimes we used to get more information sometimes if you go went to a closed door a, you know session in a think tank in one of the major think tanks and they were much more uh, sometimes um, forthcoming on what is exactly happening there right and maybe someone so that's also the utility perhaps of someone who's retired and no longer part of the formal establishment because exactly. they can be more candid about things that an official spokesperson exactly. cannot speak about and right? these are people who have been posted there in various capacities so they have context and history exactly and, and they're not just a former diplomats former military personnel who were posted in those areas so they they utilized all these people at that time to explain to the media that you know explain to the various people who were writing on it he what are the nuances exactly of the various agreements that's fascinating so, in in this time what was the chinese uh, embassy here in delhi doing Well, the Chinese embassy was very active at that time. Um, their YouTube had suddenly become active. They had, um, I think, it was the first video that they posted was from a political counselor, basically explaining that they are the ones who are completely right on this. That Doklam is theirs, and uh, then the uh, deputy chief of mission there, he called some of the reporters, and he gave a very uh, detailed. I think it was a they issued a. very detailed uh, statement uh, statement i would say a booklet kind of thing on their position and explain and giving all the things about nehru said this and nehru said that and uh, that basically the trilateral the tri junction doesn't is, is doesn't stay is not there exactly it's somewhere else and so on so forth so sort of their version of everything exactly so um, so we had uh, we had some questions we talked to him but it was interesting to hear what they were saying directly in that sense rather than not just you know reading the transcript of the foreign ministry in beijing so in that sense is the utility in even speaking to someone say from the chinese embassy uh, in delhi about say what's happening in the south china sea or do they like do they also fo- follow like a party or a government line about things in well, obviously places? they follow a very much a government line so the, the uh, usefulness of that extra conversation may not necessarily be very high it depends exactly on the uh, kind of diplomat that you are speaking to because nowadays also chinese uh, diplomats have changed a lot earlier they were very like they felt like a party politics uh, but now they are quite actually um, smooth and, and slick uh, and there's this one chinese uh, diplomat in pakistan who is a twitter uh, yeah, sensation right yeah exactly and uh, often saying outrageous things on twitter yeah and, and the is... chinese ambassador in india now has a twitter account so um and and they have a youtube account of course in that sense so they have been pretty active and they have actually revamped their uh, press uh, you know press department quite well right now so much more active in that sense and much more um, willing to talk to you okay but depends on what they want to talk you can ask them a lot of questions but they it depends on them if they want to be interested in talking back to you right especially about things that they don't want to talk exactly. about exactly you i don't i'm guessing they won't be too forthcoming on xinjiang or tibet or uh, other yes. things but i'm not sure if any indian journalists actually have asked them about it so 
So, so there I, is opportunity. Devi Rupa, could you tell us a little about how investigative journalism might work within this space in India? Mm-hmm. Uh, we understand how that works with, say, the CBI or uh, elsewhere. But what what would that mean in the foreign policy case? Well, in a investigative journalism in MEA would perhaps mean, um, for example, I can give you an example of what had happened when the 39 Indians that um, had been killed in Iraq. So when the first announcement was made, I can give a personal example. When the announcement was made in, um, you know, first that MEA said, we think that these people have been kidnapped. And they gave us the name of the place uh, of the uh, employment agency that they were working for. So I was basically Googling and checking if there's any contact number for this agency. Does it really exist? So there was a number. So I decided to call up. So the first answer that they gave was basically, that was very strange. I've thought, ki, uh, I told them that this is what we have heard from the Indian Ministry of External Affairs, that all these people have been kidnapped. That person said that, no, no, they, they were just going to come back. And I said, quick, fine. I mean, that's also makes a story in that sense. Ki these people are saying that, you know. So this is fine. somebody in Iraq. In, somebody in Iraq. But then I, then we decided, ki, this doesn't make sense. Like, we decided to call up that person again. So then he gave the number of another person. Basically, this guy was obviously, his English was not very good. So I decided to basically try to get the help of somebody who understands Arabic. So that person then called up this guy and he gave a number. And that guy basically gave the number of one of his Bangladeshi employees who they said he were working with Indians. So that Bangladeshi then employee, then uh, we managed to get that uh, speak to the Bangladeshi employee, which is very surprising. Because he had already crossed over into Irbil. Uh, and he said, I'm in Irbil right now. But he had a very difficult Bangladeshi accent. And he okay. was speaking only in Bengali, and which I don't understand very well. I mean, that since he was speaking a very Bengal accent, which I, so I had to ask my help of my boss who understands that. But then he basically, then he said that, uh, which we were very, actually very apprehensive on hearing it. Basically, he said that all of them have died. I met only one of the Indians who has managed to escape. And he said that all of them have died. Wow. So that was kind of very, you know, that was the same day as that um, the announcement had been made that they had been kidnapped. And the Indian side was in denial for a while, right? That's... So we only announced it this year, right? That they have oh. all, all been killed. So it, it was very, even for us for to write it basically, you know, how do we write that? It was very difficult for us to exactly, we had a lot of discussions. How do we say that basically these 39 Indians could be killed? Uh, you don't have like a second source who can exactly. verify independently. Exactly. None of those usual standards. And we don't know the person in, we have not spoken to the Indian who actually, who supposedly had uh, escaped, who had, and who said that basically um, all of them have been killed. So, but we did confirm it with the ministry, basically that the, there was one Indian who had, who had managed to uh, escape. And this was a story that he was telling. So we knew that part that he was, uh, telling the story to the authorities and they had managed to be in contact with him. So that part was there. So we had to write it in. So that was the investigative that we had to, I think that was one example of an investigation that you can do. But otherwise, is it easy to like get documents out of any? And uh, not at all. It's, it's not as leaky as say defense ministry or <laughs> any other ministries in uh, the you know government of India right now. 
because there's a far tighter control over information. Yes. And because it's a very small ministry, ultimately, you know, everybody is, a, it's a very small, it's almost like a family, frankly. Mm-hmm. Because in, if you see in other ministries, it's full of IAS who will go from one place to another and they go, can go flit from one ministry to another ministry. But this is basically just IFS people. They'll either be in headquarters or they'll go abroad. Right. And they are the most three or four people in different uh, departments. So it's very difficult to leak anything. Without it being traced back exactly. to Exactly. Ah. Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. Because the IAS officers... There can be many people who would have served the year and they'd be somewhere far exactly. away, but access have would have access to some document. Exactly. Okay, so that makes it. And defense ministry is a much more bigger, uh, you know, um, place. I mean, much more. You have the army. You have so many services together. And you have the more complex politics behind. Yes. Leaking documents and um, exactly, and much more other vested interests. There are other middlemen. You know, so many other agencies working. Basically, I, I meant is it's not just the defense ministry. You have also other, for example, companies who are interested in weapons procurement. They would also be leaking documents. They would have their own contacts there. So in something so in, like the Rafael discussion, there are lots of players exactly. who have interests in sharing different pieces of information. That kind of dynamic is not there in MEA. So maybe this would be one of the final things that I want to ask you. So when something like the Rafael deal is in the news, how is the MEA looking at this or how would you be looking at it on the MEA beat? Because yes, it's a Ministry of Defense and Acquisition issue, but it's also France-India relation issue. So I'm very curious how the ministry looks at it and how as a foreign policy journalist you would be looking at it. The point is that Rafael have not really touched on it, frankly. Okay. The Rafael's issue has not yet, like we were talking about, is basically not yet escalated to the Ministry of External Affairs per se. It's not an issue that is on our uh, radar as I'm a journalist. Maybe it will be in the future. Uh, and it's not entered the transactional nature of the bilateral relationship no, yet. not yet. So in that sense, even the MEA has not felt a need to comment or anything. It's purely a Ministry of Defense yeah. uh, affair. And that's the best kind of thing that the MEA spokesperson also loves. That they can basically, if it's entirely related to Defense Ministry and in the Ministry, they would like, Please speak to those ministries that they will not answer anything related to that at all. Devarupa, thank you so much for coming on the Pragati podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. And I'm glad we are recording this in the Wire studios and you've been gracious enough to give me the space to do this recording. Not at all. It was a pleasure. Thank you for staying with us till the end. Please share this episode with others and please help spread the word about podcasts in India. If you listen to the Pragati Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please leave us a rating and a review. It will mean a lot to us. Visit thinkpragati.com for your daily dose of brain fodder. Subscribe to the Pragati Podcast on the IVM Podcasts app or wherever you get your podcasts from. We are there everywhere. Hello, everybody. We have a brand new daily podcast we're working on with Bloomberg Quint. All You Need to Know provides the top news on business, markets, and the economy so that you can stay ahead of the curve. Tune in every morning on BloombergQuint.com, the IVM podcast app, or wherever you get your podcast from. You say jogging, and I'm telling you a story about a man who dated three sisters. You say boss, Kurla. 
And it's about a guy who went out to a party where they were selling beef. This is Anand Sivkumar and AK The Croc. My show, The Croc's Tales. You give me a word, I'll tell you a story. Words aapke, kahani aapke liye. Do tune in on Monday and Thursday on the IVM website, app and anywhere you get your podcast from.